Welcome to Gateway Church Cymru, a church where anyone can be transformed by the story of Jesus. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. Amen. It's a great joy to be with you again this morning. Someone said I had a suntan. I said, well, I've been to Bradford for a week and it was raining. So I don't know how that happened, but it's good to be here. From a point of view of Assemblies of God Conference, just for you to know, we've now got a new national leader. His name is Glenn Barrett. You may have heard of Audacious Church in Manchester. And Glenn is a very anointed and gifted leader. And uh, it was good to see the transition and an all sort of honoring and different things that were part of that. And that was good to see. And to begin to share something of the vision and way forwards. Uh, for this fellowship. So we're in good hands, and we may not feel too much when you're out here in the sticks, but don't be discouraged. Glyn Barrett, his family originate from the valleys, and he mentioned that when he's giving a bit of his life story, his family life story. His grandfather was a communist, and uh, his father was not keen on church until he got saved, that is, and became a minister of the gospel. And, uh, but God just moved and God just worked. And uh, so Product of the Valleys is now the leader of our national movement. So there's hope. So praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Let's just turn to the Word this morning. If you have a Bible, turn first to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 40. Acts chapter 2, verse 40. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Then Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Acts 13, verse 1. Now in the church there was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Amen. If you were living in the days of the New Testament, which church would you attend? I mean, 
Would you want to go to a really charismatic church like Corinth? You know, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, the gifts, all there at Corinth. Maybe you like some deep theology and you think, oh, I'd go to Romans, the Church of the Romans. That'd be my scene. Maybe you're a traditionalist and you say, well, I'd like to go to the Church of the Galatians. I like traditional things. Or maybe you like Bible study. Well, go to Ephesus because the church there had incorporated into it a Bible college, a place where new ministers are being trained. So rich in Bible study. Maybe you like house church. Well, then go to Coloss. Or maybe you like church that majors on the second coming of Jesus. Then the place to go is Thessalonica, the church of the Thessalonians. A lot to choose from, but I want to share about two churches this morning. If you like sermon titles, you could call it the tale of two churches. And the first one I want to share is Jerusalem Church, <coughs> and the second one is Antioch Church. Now, Jerusalem Church, that would be an exciting church to be part of, founded on the day of Pentecost, a genuine Pentecostal church. You know, Jesus said to his disciples, wait, tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued, until you're clothed with power from on high. We know if as we read the story at the end of Luke's gospel into, and the first chapter of Acts, that 120 people, men and women, young and old, just met together, just with a passion for Jesus, just worshiping, just praising, just praying, just expectant. Wow, those are great conditions for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Worship, prayer, praise, expectancy. And uh, on the day of Pentecost, when thousands had gathered in Jerusalem for the Jewish feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. There was a rushing wind, and there was a sound of a rushing wind, rather. And, and that was the means by which God gathered these thousands of people to the place where this was all happening. And uh, the Holy Spirit descended and in, in flames of fire upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues supernaturally, powerfully by the Holy Spirit. Wow, what a day. What a day. But being filled, they didn't just stay in the upper room and say, yes, it's nice, but they were thrust out to the waiting crowds. And Peter preaches a powerful message, and we're told that 3,000 people were saved. One day. Amazing. And that's where we pick it up in, in Acts chapter 2 and verse uh, 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. But what kind of church was it? What happened? And we need to look at this. We get to verse 42. And it says, they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Just look at that for a moment. They continued steadfastly. If you've got the New International Version, it probably uses, they, they devoted themselves. The actual Greek word there is, they addicted themselves. They addicted themselves. You know, when you're addicted to something, I hope nobody's addicted to anything, but if you're addicted to something, 
you need more and more of it and more and more frequently. So that's the nature of addiction. If you're just dependent upon something, well, you just need it. But if you're addicted, you want more and more and more and more frequently. Someone addicted to heroin needs more and more, higher doses, and more frequently. Uh, they're a, a drug addict. Well, these people, these New Testament people, these Jerusalem church people, they were addicted, what to? The apostles' doctrine. They were addicted to the word of God. They couldn't get enough of the word of God. Oh, as the apostles taught them the will and the ways of Jesus, they taught them the basics of the Christian faith, as they taught them maybe elements of the Sermon on the Mount, like forgiveness and prayer and generosity and so on. They, they just couldn't get enough of it. They wanted more and more of it. Addicted to the Word of God. Addicted to fellowship. They just wanted to be with the people of God. They wanted to spend time with the people of God. You know, the Bible says that it's something we're encouraged to do. It says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but do it the more so as you see the day that is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ approaching. They're addicted to fellowship. They're addicted to prayer. You know, the early church, it began in prayer. We've already said that as they waited in the upper room. It was sustained by prayer, and it moved forwards with prayer. You know, we can't do without prayer. The guest speaker at the conference I've just mentioned is a person from Switzerland called Leo Bigger. He's a bit out there, I guess. He's, if you saw him, the way he dresses, the, in his manners and ways. But I thought, wow, how does... God used someone like this. He's got church of about 3,500 attending and several plant churches across Switzerland and also into different nations, into Germany and different parts of the world. I think, God, what was the secret? You're using someone like this who's, who, who maybe could be described as someone you know, a bit wild in some ways. But then one day he spoke about prayer. And fasting, and, and that he gives one day a week, and, and three days a month, and 40 days a year. And I think, wow, now, as wild as out there he might appear, undergirding all of that is prayer. Is prayer. You can't do without it. And the early church here it says they're addicted, they're devoted, they gave themselves steadfastly to prayer. Then verse 43, then fear came upon every soul. There was also another element that we don't talk about too much these days. There was a sense of the fear of God. Not being afraid of God because we have a relationship with him through Jesus. But that sense of awe and worship and, and God is the all-seeing, the all-knowing God. Uh, walking in the fear of God. That keeps us holy. That keeps us pure. And there was that. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. When you've got this sort of atmosphere of, of a devotion to the word and to fellowship and to prayer and, and walking in the fear of God, it's the atmosphere where miracles occur. And there are miracles. And it goes on, verse 44, all who believed were, were together and had all things common. There was a, a sharing and generosity in this church. 
It says how they sold their possessions and goods and, and broke bread from house to house. Verse 47, praising God. Wow, they're addicted to praise. They just love meeting together and praising God. Their praise is attractive, it says, because they had favor with all the people. People thought, wow, that church is amazing. That group of people, it's amazing. You go there, you feel God's presence. There's something beautiful about it. Let me tell you, the presence of God, the praises of God's people, the, the, the spiritual worship of God's people, when it's done with a passionate heart for the Savior, is attractive. You know, some people say, oh, if I bring my friends, neighbors to church, then I hope it's just kept sedate. And That's the worst thing you can do. What people need to come into is God's presence. They need to come into an atmosphere of praise. An atmosphere is full. They won't understand it all, maybe, but they think, wow, there's something here. There's someone here. Oh, this is amazing. They'll be impacted by the presence of Almighty God. That's powerful. That's powerful. And the end result of all of that, of course, at the end of verse 47, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Wow, church where people are getting saved every day. They weren't just having meetings on a Sunday. It was every day. People being saved. People being saved. That's the Jerusalem church. Would you like to be part of Jerusalem church? Would you like to be there? You know, the Bible says that or there's a law that, as you study the Bible, you discover that theologians talk about. It's called the law of first reference. And if you want church to be as it should, you need to go back to the first mention, the first reference. And this is the first mention, the first reference. And so the elements and the things we read of here, we should be thinking, wow, we need to get them back into church. Is it possible? Yes. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus speaks to seven churches. And in verse 4, he speaks to the first church. It's the church at Ephesus. He says, um, he says some things about them. And he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You've forgotten. You've left your first love. So easy to get used to things and take things for granted. But then he says, but repent and, and return. Do the first works. Do the first works. You've heard me say it before, but I was once taught about marriage counseling. If you've got a couple who are struggling with their marriage, then, then ask them to, next time they visit you, bring pictures of when they're courting and photographs, mementos, and, and their engagement, and their wedding day, and their honeymoon, and, and bring these pictures, and mementos, and things, and, and share them. And that's very wise, because what the marriage counselor is saying, get them to talk about their first love. Remember their first love. Remember the things they did as their first love, and restore, and revive, and refresh the first love. Wow good for marriage but it's good for us as Christians it's good for us as church we need to get back to the first things we need to get back to that place where once again we, 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 we're steadfast we're devoted we're addicted to the word of God 
We're addicted to prayer. We're addicted to fellowship. We're addicted to, to celebrating communion. In fact, communion is essential to all of this because it's where we remember, where we're reminded of His love. What is it that it stimulates our first love? It's to remember His love upon the cross where He died and bled and gave Himself for us. Wow. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Says the hymn. We need to get the first love back. The first love back. Start doing. You know, when you start doing, it's, it's a bit hard, but when you get into it, wow. It's like even like that in prayer sometimes. You ever found that in prayer? Get going something, but when you get going, you enter into God's presence, and wow, once you're in God's presence, wow, this is just beautiful. You can spend hours then just seeking His face. They were devoted to apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. There's a sense of the fear of God. Oh, we want to see miracles and signs and wonders. But actually, we're given the conditions for miracle signs and wonders in this verse. A praying people, a people devoted to the word, a people walking in the fear of God, a people who love being in God's house. Wow, it creates a, an atmosphere. And add in later where it says about praise, praise releases God's presence. That's where miracles occur. That's where salvations occur. The Lord adds to his church daily those who are being saved. There's no shortcut. There's no secret formula. It's already there, written for us in Acts 2. Get back to the first things. Get back to that law of first reference. Renew the first love. It's there. And so, and generosity, that's part of it too. They were so generous. There's a culture that just evolved of generosity in the church. People just gave unto the Lord. Most rule, most give. No, it was, I want to give. I want to share. I want to be part of this. I'll sell things if need be. I'll do anything just to give to the work. And the expressions of that work was they reached out to widows and others as we read further on. What a church! The Jerusalem church. Think, wow. Yes, if I want to go to a New Testament church, I'd love to go to the, the Jerusalem church. Then another church. Let's give you a choice. Let's look at the second church. The second church that I want to share with you is found a little bit further on in the Acts. We read about it in Acts 13 verses 1 to 3, but actually the story begins a bit further back. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 19, Acts 11 verse 19, now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. 
But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. I want you to notice that. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. News of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he'd come and seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed from Patasus to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Wow. The Antioch church. The second church we want to look at this morning church started as a result of persecution. People had to flee of Philip going to Samaria, but some went further up, uh, up the uh, coast of the Mediterranean. If you think of the Mediterranean as a rectangle with a, the leg of Italy sit, sticking down in the middle. Um, then in the top right-hand corner, you've got the river Orontes, and on that river you've got the city of Antioch, a, a multi, probably about half a million, 500,000 city Greeks, Romans, and Jews, and whole mixture population were living in that city. It's a big trading city, and uh, where north and south and east and west met in the trade routes of those days. And, and these people get to that city, and they come preaching Jesus. And what I notice, it says the hand of the Lord was with them, or the hand of the Lord, the power of God, the Spirit of God was upon them. In verse, chapter 11, verse 21, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And then verse 26, it says in this place, as this church is established, it says, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. First called Christian. We said that before. It wasn't a name that they got together at some committee and said we need to get a church name. Let's have a committee that will come up with names for us. Uh, let's go on uh, Google and see if Google's got any good names for us. No, it was it was the outsiders, the unbelievers, the people of the city said, "These are Christians." Now that might not mean too much to us until you understand that the Christos Christ means anointed one. Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one. And to be called Christians is saying these are the anointed ones. We've already said, if we didn't understand any Greek or anything, we've already seen in verse uh, 21, the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of God was upon them. The power of God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit was upon them. These are spirit-filled people not testifying to some experience they'd had some years back, but people were living and the anointing and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, because people were getting saved and, and uh, there are no doubt miracles and healings, that the people began to nickname them in the city, these are the Christians, these are the anointed ones. 
we're sharing the good news of Jesus. Wow, I, I don't know about you, I, I'd love to be in a church where people are all filled with the Spirit, where people are so full, they're not just testifying something that happened years ago, they're actually living in their fullness, and they're sharing Jesus, and the hand of God is upon them. I think that's, hey, that to me says, wow, wow that sounds my kind of church. Oh, so we have number one characteristic, a spirit-filled, witnessing people. That is powerful. Next thing I learn, learn about this church in, in, in Acts 13, it's a leadership-led church. A leadership-led church. You know, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and 22, that it says that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You have to recognize that there's a flow. We saw already in the Jerusalem church, they addicted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. There's a flow of uh, authority, a flow of anointing, a flow that comes through being leadership-led. And uh, they had them here, but wow, it's what a, what a grouping. It says that at the church at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, such a balance. You know, some people would like all the church to be led by prophets, you know, all inspirational stuff, and thus says the Lord stuff, and, and uh, visions and dreams stuff. But hey, you've got a balance. And there's balance. They had prophets and teachers. It's Barnabas, Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger. So not only balance of people, balance of ethnicity as well, black and white. Lucius of Cyrene, another black man. Manin, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Oh, not just poor, but rich and poor. And then Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul. So very well educated. What a balance of people, but a balance of gifting and leadership, apostles and prophets and teachers. Hallelujah. What a church. Wow. Multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-gifted. Praise the Lord. I love that. The next thing I love about this church, they were a worshiping church. A worshiping church. In verse, in verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Wow, they, they ministered to the Lord. They just loved just to worship God. Their focus was Jesus. They ministered to the Lord. They just wanted to worship Him and love Him and adore Him and honor Him. In fact, the, the worship was such, they began to forget about earthly things like food. How would we cope with that today if we just had a meeting that just erupted in worship and praise and forgot all about Sunday lunch and Sunday tea with this wow and God's presence? Wow. It would be beautiful. And they just missed the Lord. They just lost all sense of time. That happens when heaven comes down. When God's presence comes, we lose all sense of time because it's heaven on earth. Do you think of me clock watching in heaven? Three minutes to 12 or whatever. Now you're all watching watches. No, not so in heaven. Wow, heaven came down. I'd love to be in worship services like that, wouldn't you? Ah, oh, worshiping people, prophetic people. 
says as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, oh, the, the gifts of the Spirit, the, the gift of prophecy. And what I like about it, it doesn't name a person, doesn't say, oh, there's somebody called Agabus or somebody, it says the Holy Spirit said. Because that's how the gift should be. We shouldn't be dwelling on a person. It's the, the fact we're hearing from God. There's a prophetic atmosphere. The prophetic gift is being powerfully used in this gathering of people. Wow, what a beautiful thing. And that tells me that, you know, when we're worshiping, people say, oh, we need to see the gifts of the Spirit more. We need tongues, interpretation, prophecy. And, and I don't disagree. But I say we need to go one step back from that. The precursor of seeing the gifts of the Spirit in operation powerfully, I had the word powerfully, is worship. The worshiping atmosphere. An atmosphere that's just so loving God and passionate about God. It's in that atmosphere we hear the voice of God. It's in that atmosphere people can be stirred to give a message in tongues and, and stirred to give the interpretation. It's in that atmosphere people can be stirred to, to bring gifts of prophecy which might incorporate words of wisdom and knowledge in the content. But oh, it's in that atmosphere of God. It's in the atmosphere of God. Oh, we long, should long for that. Thereby the gifts of the Spirit flow. They were praying people. When they've heard from God, they didn't just take it for granted. They start to pray over that word. So often, as Christian people, we can hear a word from God. We say, thank you very much. God says, hey, I've declared my side of heaven. Now you have to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's now in partnership we have to pray God's word, God's promise into being here on earth. And so when God makes promises, we need to, to keep praying and persist in praying. And they prayed. Now they deliberately fasted as they prayed. And when we deliberately fast, fasting so important to prayer. Fasting so important to breakthrough. I heard somebody yesterday when I was on my exercise bike. Um, so I find that boring, but when I listen, I can put up with it. And he was saying the importance of fasting when it comes to miracles. You know, fasting intensifies praying. Fasting humbles the flesh. Fasting increases our dependence upon God. Fasting enlarges our spirit to receive more of the Holy Spirit. Fasting increases our spiritual sensitivity. I'm sure there are other reasons too, but that's a pretty good list to begin with. I'll read them again. Fasting intensifies our praying. If for no other reason, when you start to get hungry, you think, why am I hungry? Oh, you should be praying. Fasting humbles of flesh. Fasting um, increases our dependence upon God. Fasting enlarges our spirit to receive more of the Holy Spirit. Fasting increases our spiritual sensitivity to hear what God is saying. What a church. I guess we could bring out more elements as well, but I think, wow, the Antioch church. Wow, which one am I going to attend? Jerusalem church or Antioch church? Which, which one are you going to choose? You know? Or do you want one of the others I mentioned at the very beginning? But out of these two, which are you going to choose? Hey, 
they're just thinking, well, maybe Jerusalem Church. Send me the first one after all. I don't know. Which one? Which one? Well, let me tell you this. Of these two churches, of these two churches, as time went on, one was obedient and one was disobedient. So that might help us in our choice. Which one are we going to attend? So which one are we going to attend? Which one was obedient? Which one was disobedient? Pause for effect so you can let your mind think, hmm, I don't know. They both sounded so brilliant. Well, let me tell you which one was disobedient. It was a Jerusalem church. Wow, it started so well. We've already agreed that and seen that. And it's important we get back to all those things. That I'm not dismissing any of the things I've said. But they failed in one part. It was this. They kept it to Jerusalem. Jesus had said in the Great Commission, go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, making disciples of the nations. In Acts 1, verse 8, he says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. But for those years after Pentecost, he just kept it to Jerusalem. Oh, it's a Jewish thing. Let's keep it to the Jewish believers. And God says, uh-uh told you to go into all the world you know and when we are disobedient what does God do when we're not doing what God wants to do well God's got a way I shared some time ago about like the eagle stirs up the nest God says it's time for you to start flying you got cozy you got comfortable you become very inward looking it's time to get you outward looking again it's time to fly and God just stirs and nest, gets those young eaglets out and gives them a push. And, ah, and they're falling to earth. And then the mother eagle picks them up until they begin to learn to fly. And that's what God had to do with the church at Jerusalem. He had to use persecution to get them out of the nest. Persecution to get out into what he commanded them so clearly to do. And so persecution comes. We've already read a verse about that when we came to Antioch. Because of the persecution that came from the time of Stephen onwards, they're going out. And Philip goes to Samaria, and a reluctant um, Peter eventually goes to the house of Cornelius. Remember, God had to show him a vision. He's on the housetop of Joppa. He'd just been ministering to Jewish people. And, and God had to show him, look, He's really hungry, and God shows him, hey, eat. And he says, that's unclean, I can't eat it. And he says, don't you call unclean what God has called clean. And then before he knows it, there's somebody coming from the house of Cornelius, a centurion, a Roman centurion, a Gentile. And Peter, this reluctant Peter, has to go to the house of Cornelius. And as he's speaking, the Holy Spirit comes upon the household of Cornelius, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and begin speaking with tongues. And and Peter thinks, wow, well, okay, what do I do now? I better just get them baptized. 
And, and so the gospel comes to the Gentile world. That's Jerusalem church. Compare the Antioch church. The Holy Spirit comes in a time of worship. Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I've called them. And so they fast and pray, and they send out Barnabas and Saul, send them out on, on mission. And they got on that first missionary journey, and then later they come back and report back, and there's great rejoicing. And that becomes a, a receiving and sending church out into mission, out into evangelism. Hallelujah. Fulfilling the Great Commission. This morning I give you two churches, Jerusalem Church, Antioch Church. Two great models for us to, to think about and look at and consider where we are in our Christian walk and how we devoted and addicted and do we, we prepare to worship and forget all of our time and all that kind of thing. We prepare to be generous. And, but there's something we must never forget. The church does not exist for the people that are in it. The church does not exist just for us to come up nice times and nice gatherings. Praise God for them. But the bottom line is this. We exist for the people who are not yet in it. We exist to reach the lost. We exist to touch the people of Abraham and Abadair in this Cunnan Valley. Or Merthyr Tidwell, wherever we come from. We exist for that reason. We exist to reach a world that goes beyond even this valley. Do you notice in these days, God, in His grace and mercy, is actually bringing the world to us? We're talking to a, a lady pastor from Yorkshire called Joy Gascoigne. I forget which little sort of village community in Yorkshire she pastors, has been very faithful at that for years. But she said, now the world is in a church. I don't mean the church has become ungodly and immoral. I mean different nations. She says we've got, I think, something like seven different nations now in that Yorkshire church. Wow, we're living days like that. We need to seize the opportunities. Because what God has created His church for, to reach out to the lost. That the lost might be saved. That the saved might be discipled. That the discipled might be equipped. And the equipped might be sent. Praise the Lord. Two churches, let's learn from them. But not just learn, let's apply and let's do. And let's reach out to a dying world. Amen. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for the great lessons we learned from the Jerusalem church and the Antioch church. When we apply their example, we realize there's work to be done. And Father, restore in us, oh God, restore in us that passion, that devotedness, that addictive desire for your word, for fellowship, for prayer, for, for, for praise, for, for reaching out, a, a addiction to be hilarious in our giving. We might be generous that, Lord God, that the miracles might have occurred and the lost might be saved. We might have favor with the people. Father God, help us, restore us, bring us back to those first things, restore the first love. Oh God, I pray. Oh, help us ever keep a mind to the mission fields all around us. 
take the opportunities you set before us that the lost might be saved. That the lost might be saved. Thank you, Lord. Bless your word to our hearts, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe. And check out our podcast channel for past episodes. For more content from Gateway and to connect with us, go to gatewaychurchcumry.co.uk. Have a great day.